and welcome into the latest edition of the RinkWise podcast presented by Siemens Media. I am your host and editor of New England Hockey Journal, Evan Marinovsky, and I am joined today by the great Andrew Will, the head coach at Salisbury. Andrew, welcome, and how are you? I'm doing great, Evan. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. we, You and I, we see each other, even though you're down in Connecticut, we see each other a lot in the summer, in the spring, at rinks. It is, it's just kind of a, a, a it, that's our lives. And you're, you've been doing this a lot longer than me, but it's, it's just constantly watching hockey. And, 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 and that's, I mean, I imagine your summers and falls are pretty busy with, with watching and, and taking it all in. Yeah, it is. And as you're keenly aware, right, there's, there's never, a shortage of things going on in terms of events or showcases. And so for me and for all of us as prep coaches and those who are involved in the prep game, it's it's kind of a weekly thing to get out and, and get a sense of the landscape and, and the kids that are out there. And so that's obviously a fun part of the job, but a big part of that too is having a chance to run into uh, good people when you're in the rinks and love meeting you in the rink, but great to have a chance to talk here today too. Yeah, it's good to get a, a kind of a long form conversation. In. And I'm curious your thoughts, because like you, you have seen and we'll get into your career in a bit, but you've seen hockey in the region change so much, right? You, you go you through summer hockey, you go to fall, you have the prep season. Spring is kind of the rest time. There's obviously festival, but that's not towards the end of it. How has summer and fall hockey changed uh, to help better prepare players for that prep season? Yeah, when it. I think one of those things is is just the volume of events, right? There's there's so much more going on now in the summer and the fall than than there used to be, but it's it's not always so much like the quantity that's it's important. It's it's finding the quality stuff. And I think when when I look at some of the stuff that players are doing through the summer months in particular, there there used to be a real emphasis on on showcases and kind of recruiting events and and they're still a big part of that but but I've been excited to see more and more players wanting to spend time in the summer working on skill development working on strength conditioning utilize those summer months to really build that base build that skill level so that when they get to the fall they get to their season hopefully they're they're reaping the benefits of that it, it I think kids and families have been a little bit more selective it, it, my my sense is that it used to be, hey, going to this camp this weekend, this showcase is the next weekend, and, and now families are a little bit more of, hey, going to target two or three key events, do those, and and then spend a lot of the other time working on skills and and, and training, strength conditioning. With with fall hockey, you know that that probably has been for for me during my sixteen years at the prep school level has has changed the most. When I first started at Salisbury. The the NEPSAC rule was you, if you had pucks and sticks on the ice, you couldn't be wearing your equipment, um, and you could only do it on on weekends. And and now with with so many schools having kids having the ability to have access to their their rinks during the fall, even though coaches can't be out there with them, the kids are skating a little bit more. And then just uh, the evolution of of split season and whether it's the Beast League, the PPP, just the, the more opportunities. Yes, the number of games have gone up, the number of events have gone up, but I think just in terms of fall hockey going from strictly a, a prep for the the start of the prep season to now it's 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 very much a component of it, I think, where 
for colleges, junior teams, and, and for the kids, they feel that that's, that's an important part of their recruitment process or cycle, getting themselves ready for the season, certainly. But I think it, it's also kind of situated itself where, where it's now instrumental in, in terms of the overall prep experience, kind of the, the before season part to, to complement what's going on once we get going in November. It's funny you mentioned the PPP and or, or I forget the exact acronym. It's acronym. It's sort of new, but you look at like everyone talks about how prep hockey potentially might need to change, right? Getting the longer season to compete with the academies. It feels like you have like Kimball Union playing together this fall. You have Cushing with the Central Mass Penguins. Obviously, the kids in Metro Boston have their teams. It feels like I, I think you and I have talked about this just off camera before, but it feels like. As you kind of mentioned, that's sort of the extension of the prep season, that September to uh, mid-November. Do you see that evolving into sort of each prep team kind of getting their own fall team? Or, or how do you see that changing in the coming years? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great observation. And I think it, it is uh, the trend. And I think there's some geography comes into play a little bit as, as you reference some of the Boston area schools or just with with some of the districts and in youth programs that it, it's a little bit easier for some places to uh, to have all their guys play together uh, as a group but i think that that is that is the trend uh, where where things are are going in 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 what form and in what shape that'll be i think is is going to play itself out I, I am a believer that if you're if you're standing still you're you're being passed and and i do think for for us as a, as a body, it's important that we are proactive and in, in our finding ways to enhance the experience uh, for our kids in, in also doing that within the, the confines of the NEPSAC rules and uh, requirements that, that our governing body has. And so I think, you know, what, what people are doing is, is trying to uh, push that appropriately push that envelope a little bit to provide a, a, a more, Development focused, and I think that's where when you have your team together, there's a little bit more of that development piece because it's it's your team, like the Salisbury kids or the Cushing kids or the Kimball Union kids that are having the opportunity to skate together during the week. But those split season teams don't aren't able to practice, right? So it's just mm-hmm. game centered. And I think that as as coaches, the idea of having more of our guys together on a group playing together, building that chemistry, building that camaraderie. Team unity, I think all those things are, are exciting for how that helps us with, with hitting the ground running with the prep season, but also I think is, is a way to enhance the uh, split season experience for the guys. So I do think that that seems to be a little bit of a, the trend. And I think we're, we've seen that a little bit more kind of in central New England and, and out east, but I, I think it's, it's coming out our way in the west a little bit as well. And the other thing is that that is really interesting with fall. And I was doing a story recently on sort of the differences between fall and prep for college recruiting. And there were some assistant coaches in the college world who said, well, fall hockey's sort of gotten watered down a bit. You have more teams. You have uh, sometimes some more events. It's harder. You have to go a little further to find different kids. There's more spread out. Obviously, you see this. Kids want to be on a team where they can stand out rather than just be on a stacked team. You can see that in prep. Do you think that fall hockey has watered down a bit in the past couple of years or or is it a good thing that there are lots of different teams or is there a happy medium? Yeah. So 
<laughs> One of the things we all joke about working in prep schools is we, we wear different hats, right? Teacher, <laughs> dorm parent, coach. You do a lot. You do a lot. Whatever, whatever it may be. But, but I, I think there's some different ways to look at split season. And, and the college coaches, rightly so, are looking at it through the lens of, hey, how, how am I getting the best viewing opportunities to evaluate kids? And, and it's, it's kids playing high-level competition and ideally not at 10, 15 on, on Saturday night in, in Marlboro. <laughs> like, I agree so, with that. So there, there's that piece. You put your prep school person hat on and you look at, okay, we have at our school, between our varsity team, our JV team, we've got well over 50 kids who are really excited about hockey. And so all those kids want to play split season. All those kids are looking for, for ways to have, have a little bit more of a robust hockey experience during, during prep school. They're looking for ways to continue their development. They're looking for ways to hopefully grab the attention of college coaches and junior coaches. So I would say there are more people, uh, more kids that are looking to play split season. And so that leads to what you're talking about, I think is a little bit of a watering down where you have more teams and, and you've got the national bound teams, you've got the showcase teams. And so with with the way it's set up and, and not particularly tiered in terms of competitive level, it does, it does water it down uh, a little bit. So in terms of the opportunities and more kids being able to uh, take advantage of it, I think, I think that's a good thing. But in terms of what, what we hear as, as prep coaches from the college guys as well, is that it just, there aren't as many quality viewing opportunities where there just don't seem to be as many uh, high quality games or teams aren't necessarily as strong top to bottom as as they were people perceive they were five ten years ago well the the everyone always says the past is better than now things used to be so much better back in the day and now it's not but i i see what like i do see it you, you see some games where you're like oh there's a lot of teams here and you wonder how many good teams are there so i want to get into your career because it's fascinating so i know the story of how you got to salisbury but I would love for you to tell it because I think it's it's a cool story and it's just one of those examples of it's so hard to predict the future. So tell us a little bit about how you got to Salisbury. <laughs> yeah, and I'll start by saying how fortunate I feel to to be here and have this opportunity. And it goes back to to a conversation that that I had with Chiz Chandler, the former head of school here at Salisbury, and at the time I was teaching English and, and coaching hockey at Upper Canada College, prep school up in Toronto. And I had, had moved back to Toronto after five years coaching Division One hockey. I coached at RPI and, and a union and then went back home and, and was coaching there. And Mr. Chandler gave me a call. Dan Donato at the time had was the coach here at Salisbury and he had just taken the job at, at Dexter. And through the hockey connections, right, Kevin Patrick, who's at a Culver Academy now, was the assistant coach with me at, at Union for three years. And he and Mr. Chandler were friends from their, their prep school days. Mr. Chandler was a Hotchkiss guy. Mr. Kevin Patrick was the Deerfield guy. And they both had got into coaching and they coached against each other. And so long story short, as Mr. Chandler was, was trying to come up with a list of potential replacements for Dan Donato, KP gave him my name. And so when, when Mr. Chandler called, uh, it was later in the, uh, in the spring and, 
I had actually just started uh, dating my my now wife. Uh, we had probably been dating about eight weeks or so. <laughs> and the the idea of moving to Connecticut, starting a long distance relationship. Plus, I did not feel very comfortable leaving UCC in the lurch in May. I said, Mr. Chandler, I really appreciate the the opportunity, uh, but unfortunately, I just don't think the timing is right. And uh, I remember him saying to me, well, what if what if we were to wait a year? And I thought he was being nice. I thought he was being just kind. And I was like, well, wait a year. Yeah, I, I would definitely be interested in revisiting this conversation, never expecting it to actually happen. And sure enough, Matt Corkery, who had already been here as a longtime Salisbury coach, stepped in on an interim basis for a year. Mr. Chandler circled back around with me about six months later. I was engaged to my now wife then at that point, and we we jumped at the opportunity to come down here. So it was kind of an unexpected turn of events, but the one that extremely thankful for and, and appreciative of. And didn't you expect to only be there a couple of years and then now it's 16 and <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> quite a while. Yeah. So my wife is, she's from the Toronto area too, and she had played soccer in the U.S. And so she had had a great experience and we were newly engaged, no kids. We said, hey, we'll go to Salisbury. We'll do three to five years. We, we had a plan, right? And we'd come back home, start a family with aunts and uncles and cousins and 16 years and two daughters later, we're, we're still here and uh, loving it. Because you spent a good amount of time at the Division One level, uh, we'll get to the winning and the success you guys have had on the wins and losses side. But on the player development side, you've had equal number of successes. How did that time spent at the Division One level? How did that help your perspective when it came to developing kids a little bit younger at the prep level at Salisbury? Yeah, I really found that that, that experience was was so helpful and, and important for me just developmentally because I went right from playing the two years in the East Coast League after my career union and then jumped right into coaching at the college level. And so really didn't know a whole lot about coaching and development and, and really am thankful to Kevin Snedden at the time who hired me, working with KP at the time. And, and a big part of that experience was was I was responsible for for – working with with our players kind of skill development stuff in the mornings with them and before class and so got to spend a lot of time with with guys in in kind of those small groups one two three guys out on the ice together and it gave me a whole new appreciation for trying to meet each guy where where they are and understanding kind of strengths that they have areas of of improvement but also maybe even more importantly just finding ways to communicate, connect, get a, get ideas across to, to guys. And and I think how how things are perceived when you're trying to explain or, or work with a guy and something isn't always necessarily the way that guy is is receiving that information. Yeah. And so for me, that was that was really uh, important time for me to, to kind of learn that lesson. And obviously I've learned a lot from a ton of people since then about skill development and, and, and understanding the game way better. And the game's changed a lot during that time. But I, I think about those, those mornings, Achilles rank at, at union and, and working with those, those guys in those situations and, and how, how important that was for me as a coach to learn to communicate and be, be, be specific, but also listen and, and observe what, what the kids were giving back to, to, to me as a coach and, and to us as a staff. 
How much has that skill development stuff changed over the last 20 years? Like, I feel like the game has obviously become more skill-based and speed-based and physicality-based, but it feels like over the last couple, last 10 years, that skill development has become a huge thing. How how much has that changed for you just at Salisbury and kind of what you're on with those kids? Yeah, it's it's changed considerably. And I think, I think like a lot of things, it's a, it's a little bit of a pendulum, right? And how players see it versus how coaches see it change, varies a little bit. But I think we, when I started here, we probably weren't nearly as intentional with emphasizing, prioritizing skill development. We'd set aside a little bit of time, say we'd set aside 20 minutes on Thursday for some intentional skill development work. We went 0 for 5 on the power play on Wednesday, and all of a sudden I needed more power play time, so I gobble up some of that time. And yeah. as a coaching staff, it was about five, six years ago, we we said, you know what? If we're going to say we prioritize and emphasize development, we've got to make sure that we carve out that time. And the repetition, the confidence that the kids get out of that repetition is is going to pay dividends over the course of a season. And so now on Mondays and, and Thursdays, we, we designate time, win three nothing, lose three nothing, zero for ten on the power, but it doesn't matter. We that's sacred time, and so I think by us prioritizing it as a staff, the, the kids prioritize it. And and I I do think it's a little bit different too in terms of well, there's there's you hear it all the time, and guys are talking about it in the rinks about going around cones and apparatus, and is that game like versus just individual skill development? And I think there's a balance in in for us a lot of the skill development stuff we 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 emphasize and and focus on is is taking the, those individual skills and applying them to game situations and so hey working with our forwards here's some of the the skills whether it's pulling pucks off the wall catch and release um and and not just doing it for the sake of doing it but we're we're creating situations where we're creating small, small area situations where, where they're now applying that skill um, that they're going to experience in a game. And so it's, it's kind of, I think, taken that strong emphasis that, that a lot of the kids have in the off season on, on working on some of that important individual skill, fundamental skill stuff in how does that apply? How does it translate to, to their play in a game, which I think is ultimately the most important thing because we all see kids who can skate like the wind, shoot it a ton, best hands. But how does that show itself? How do they apply that in the game? And, and those two things don't always uh, go together. So we're really trying to prioritize and emphasize that aspect of skill development. Can you put it all together? That's the biggest thing. There you go. Yeah. Can you just, can you mesh it and make it work? And your teams have made it work. It's five elite eights, right? That's, you guys have five elite eight titles since you started? Oh, nine. 13, 14, 15, 22. Do I have that correct? Yeah. So we've won. So I think my first year, I don't think it was the Elite Eight. We won six New England championships since I've been here. I think it's five Elite Eights. Mm-hmm. That first year, the 08, 09 year, I believe was, I think, the final year of the the old format. And then we've moved into the three tournament situation. So yeah. Yeah. It's been a, been a, been a fun run and, and obviously been around some, some great coaches and great players here at the school. Why Why do you think, I mean, Salisbury's always been good. It was good under Donato, who's still at, at Dexter. Like, 
What do you think it has been about you and your staff over the last 16 years that has made not not Salisbury not just successful, but successful wins and losses? I know we've talked skill development, but successful in bringing in solid players and making them even better. What has it been about, do you think, uh, that you and your staff have done right uh, to kind of make that a, a possibility? Well, I, I think I would start with with what you said there, just in terms of it's got to begin with with the players and 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 as you, at the prep school level to the families and and mm-hmm. I think we've been really fortunate to attract talented players. But you know, for me, there's, it's not there's no shortage of talented players. It's finding players who who have that ability, but also have the right attitude, approach, commitment, mindset, and and buy in and and willingness to be a part of something a little bit bigger than themselves and. I think we've been been really fortunate as a staff, really fortunate as a school, and and intentional. I would say in both those areas to try and attract those those types of kids and families. And I think it, it's really important to acknowledge a lot of the the coaches that I've had the opportunity and and pleasure to work with here. Nate Riddell, going back to my first year, and Matt Corkery for, for a long stretch. Brian Finney, who's now at Belmont Hill. John Toffey, who's at Winchenden, and and then and you were you went against Finney in the twenty two Elite Eight, his first year at Belmont Hill. That must have been that must have been something, huh? Yeah, that was that was so much fun, and probably a little bit more fun because it worked out for me. That is thing. Yeah, it was, I get um, that. But he's he's a phenomenal coach, and and more importantly, he's a great friend. And I'm not surprised with the success that that Brian's had at Belmont Hill in a in a really short period of time. Well, then, and then Kirk Calling, Will Leedy, and Charlie Strauss, who are the, the three guys who work with me here and, and their knowledge of the game, their, their dedication and commitment and their, their buy-in to really emphasize. We talked about the, the skill development piece, but I, but I think the other piece, and I know it's, it's kind of the, the word of the day, but it's that culture piece. And, and I, I really think that that has been instrumental in, in terms of our success as a program and, in what we've we've tried to do and we we've been very excited about being in championship games and and coming out on the right side of a lot of them and and we we want to continue to to do that and but that's that's not our our primary goal right our primary goal is how are we helping our kids develop and grow on and off the ice each and every day so that when we do step out on the ice on Wednesday and and on Saturday they have the confidence, they have kind of the understanding of what they need to do individually and collectively to go out and, and give ourselves a chance to win each day. And if we focus on those things that, that we can control, we've had that consistency in terms of expectation, in terms of execution, and, and also that accountability piece. I think that that gives you um, a good opportunity on those game days to go out and, and have something good happen. And so for us, again, it, it really is a process-based thing. We don't really talk about winning a championship or or winning this game on a given day. We want to. We know that's the goal, but it's about how 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 and what do we need to do as a group to be able to give ourselves a chance to achieve that goal short term and also the long term for the season. And that that really has been our approach going back to to when I got here, and I think it it very much aligns with with our school and the type of community we we have here at, at Salisbury. 
almost that championships are a byproduct of focusing on being good people, being well-rounded people. And it's an interesting thing because I feel like a lot of uh, players that go on to you know higher levels, whether it be college or the NHL and teams that you know consistently win championships, it feels like the focus is let's turn our kids into well-rounded people who are good in every area, good academically, good people, good on the ice, good off the ice. It feels like that's become a very popular thing in the last couple of years, along with that culture piece. Has that changed at all? Like, has that has that changed your style or your goals at Salisbury at all? Or has that always been kind of a goal of yours? Like, hey, we need to have these kids be as well-rounded as possible. Yeah, I agree with you in that. I think that's that's become a little bit more a priority and emphasis in recent years. For for me, I feel that that's always been mm-hmm. kind of kind of my approach as a coach. And I I go back to I I think I learned a lot of that from from my parents. And, and my dad was a high school English teacher and a high school football coach. Uh, and oddly enough, I've never played a game of football in my I life. I was going to say, did you, have you ever played no, football? You haven't. Wow. No, I, I was a hockey baseball guy. And growing up, there wasn't Pop Warner football or anything. So by the time you started playing in high school, and by then it was was too late. So, But, you know, like both my parents were high school teachers. And even though hockey was 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 really important in my life and they supported me tremendously on that front, it was all about, hey, you got to you got to do put in the effort in school. You got to put in the effort in your community and family had three siblings and we all had to pull our weight. And so for for me, the idea of not just being good in one area of my life was was something that they emphasized from from day one, that, that this idea that truly successful people don't really get to pick and choose when when they work hard or, or what they're going to uh, um, commit themselves to that you may not like chemistry as much as you like going to practice. And it, it doesn't mean you got to get A plus necessarily, but you got to, you got to put in the work and you've got to, you know, if you're struggling, go see the teacher for extra help and, and utilize the resources that are there for you and take advantage of those. And I think for me, that's, that's been something we've always tried to emphasize here is we don't want guys who are only interested in working hard and performing well down at the rink. We want guys to, uh, to, obviously excel down there and, and be motivated and eager to learn. But we want guys who really prioritize doing well in the classroom and important to be contributing members of, of our school community. And just Jared Rothman, who's a senior for us this year, is our student body vice president. Justin Delucia was our student body president last year and could go down the line over the 15 years and have had a lot of guys who are some of our top students on campus, both in terms of academic performance and also in, in, in kind of the social community aspect of, of the school. And so for me, that, that piece has always been, it's been ingrained in me all the way, all the way along. And that's certainly something that I was, was hoping to have be a part of our program here at Salisbury. And that certainly has been, and I, I think it fits really well with the culture of our school too. I want to get to the current team in a second, uh, but I want to ask you about some bigger picture things because I think you have a fascinating outlook on it. Prep hockey. I mean, we just, we kind of touched on it at the beginning uh, with with kind of the fall scene and how that's changing. Do you think prep hockey needs to evolve in in any way, or is it kind of good as it is right now? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do think prep hockey would really benefit from from evolving a little bit, and I very much believe and and respect. 
the tradition of, of prep school hockey of, of NEP Santa hockey. And, and I think that there's that structure has been really, really successful for, for so many kids and families over the years. At the same time, I, I think times are changing, right? When 15 years ago, kids were playing three sports, right? We had Danny Biega, my first year here, played varsity soccer, plays varsity hockey and rose in the first boat at our school goes That's to Harvard. Incredible. Goes goes to Harvard and plays some games in the NHL and his career is cut short by concussions. But you know the the world today and it's I'm not saying it's it's necessarily a good thing, but but kids just aren't doing that, right? Mm-hmm. The way you need you know, this youth sports, they've got to decide am I going to be a soccer player, I'm going to be a hockey player really young because the soccer coach wants these kids 12 months of the year. And so we have kids who play two sports, but, but this idea of three sports is, is, is really in a lot of ways antiquated. And I think these schools offer a lot, but it's a big commitment on the part of families to, to have their kids go to these schools. And I think in terms of really meeting what a lot of the families are hoping for from this experience, I think there's an opportunity for prep hockey and, and, and I think prep athletics in general to, to evolve a little bit to, to kind of match what our families and what our kids want in, in 2023, not the way it was in 1983. And so it's a complicated issue, right? Cause you do something in one sport, it impacts other sports. There's, there's the question of, of boys and girls and equity and, and all those things. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. I don't have all the answers and there's, there's a lot of, a lot of layers to, to work through, but I do think at, at the core, what we offer to me is, is such a phenomenal model in terms of athletics, hockey specifically being tied to the school and academics and the school calendar and, uh, students being a part of the school community and culture and not a group of 25 students that go off on weekends and are doing online stuff or, you know, that it's, it's, Hmm. they're really integrated into the school, but the prep season is short and we're really limited in, in how, how much we're able to work with the kids, how often and the frequency of it. And, and so I think, you know, you, you alluded to academies and the, tier one and triple a and all, all those different competing junior hockey, all those competing models that are out there. I think what we can offer if we were to evolve a little bit could be better than, than almost all of them. And that's not to say we're going to be more competitive than, than junior leagues because those kids are, are older. And, but in terms of working with those kids between kind of 15 and 19 and 15 and 18, I think there's, there's, there's room for us to grow and make what I think is a phenomenal product uh, even better for for our kids and families. And it, it, it has the history to it, too, which you alluded to. It's interesting. Over the summer at Bruins Development Camp, I was talking to uh, Ryan Walsh, a former oh, yeah. player of yours. Yeah. And he, he was very complimentary of you. And uh, it was great to catch up with him. And he's off uh, uh, at Cornell this year, which is which is great after. Yeah, I think he was second in the USHL in points last year with Cedar Rapids, only behind... Yeah. On Celebrini, that's that's pretty good company to be in. But he was saying to me how I asked him about because the NA, this past NHL draft for kids directly out of prep getting drafted straight from prep, getting picked by NHL teams. I think it was only two. Now the year before was more than that. 
But he was saying how prep has, I don't, he was kind of saying like prep is more so preparing you for juniors in college than it is for you to get drafted to the NHL. Do you think it's, do you think prep has changed uh, or was last year kind of just a, a quote unquote down year for uh, prospects, uh, NHL draft prospects? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I wrestle with it because I don't, I don't know that I can say definitively one way or the other in terms yeah. of, I do think last year was down year in terms of that high end draft eligible talent. But if you, to go back a couple of years, I would say, and I can't remember necessarily the number, but there's been years where there's seven, eight, nine, ten 10 prep school kids getting drafted. So I think there is a bit of a cyclical thing, but I do think that with some of those higher end caliber kids that, you know, would traditionally come to prep school, I think as as a as a group we're we're not attracting those kids as much anymore um Mm -hmm. because they do want to play a longer season they do want to position themselves for for getting to the ushl and and then off to college a a little bit quicker and so some of those higher end guys who who may be draft eligible i i think it's 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 fair to ask the question are as many of them playing prep school hockey as, as they used to and I and I also think that tied to that, it, it goes together is NHL guys and when they're evaluating players, like, okay, so I know I know what the USHL competition is. The prep school competition can vary greatly from Wednesday to Saturday. And so mm-hmm. I think sometimes there's a little bit more confidence in evaluating player and saying, Hey, I know what I'm getting out of a guy who's who's played a year of junior hockey versus a guy who's maybe going through the prep ranks. And I think there's a, a percentage of kids, Johnny Beecher, who played, he was going to get drafted, whether he played a year at all three in the Nationals. <laughs> it didn't matter where he was going to play or Mac Coronado. Like there are those types of guys where they, they do come to prep school and then they, they move on. But I think Ryan Walsh is a great example of that. When, when he came in as a, as a repeat junior, I don't, I don't necessarily think he or many people thought of him as a, as a potential NHL draft pick. And, I'm not saying it's because of us. I mean, he did the work. He put in the time and and is was such a dedicated kid. And and you talk about well-rounded, I mean, in all areas of life for that guy. But the time that Prep gave him, right, to to work on his body with the, the full season and a little bit of a lighter schedule in, in, in the gym and the weight room, uh, the opportunity to develop his skills, the ability to be a guy who, who plays a prominent role on a, on a competitive prep school team, gave him confidence, put him in situations that he took advantage of that, that translated to, to him going off and having that success in the USHL last year. So I think, again, not to be cliche about it, but each guy is running his own race and they fall into different categories. But I, I do think that that is, a, that is a challenge in terms of prep school and where we are right now, that that high-end piece may not, may not be drawn here as much with some of the other options that are out there and some of the limitations that go along with the prep schedule and season. And you still see a lot of those higher end kids come when they're younger like that. I think that that's still that is still very much there. Yeah. Uh, speaking of high end talent, your team this year, <laughs> uh, what is the outlook on this group? And, and, and who are some of the players we should be uh, keeping an eye on uh, at, at every position? Yeah. So we're we're really excited about the, the season. We we feel we've got a terrific nucleus of guys that are back from last year's team. I think it was, was and you and I, I think, spoke about this before. You yeah. Know, even though on paper was a little bit of a, a down year for us, we felt 
we we really came together as a group and got as much out of out of that group as we were able to and to be one of six teams playing on that last Sunday was was something we were really excited about and we'd love to be in the elite eight and and that's the goal we have for this coming year but those guys learned a lot and and gained some real valuable experience and then I think to complement them we we've got some some real exciting young guys coming in to to join us so when I look at some of our guys up front with with our leadership with with Seamus Lada up front and, and Jared Rothman, who's Seamus is one of our captains and Jared's one of our assistant captains. And then on the back end with Anthony Biakabatuka and, and Ty Creech, our two other captains are just four of, I think, a number of really impactful guys up front. And Cooper Fleming is back for us in net, which, which we're really excited about. He played about 50% of our games last year and had a strong season and excited about him taking that next step in his his development so those guys plus our, our incoming guys i think are going to be exciting to work with they're 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 hungry they're eager they're i think really open and receptive to to getting better and learning and so we're we can't wait to get started yeah i mean you guys it's it's interesting you mentioned down year quote unquote down year it was it, but it was you guys kind of got hot at the end and and you guys really i remember we were talking about it you, you sort of found your game at the perfect time and a lot of those kids are back so um, I'm very excited to see what, what you guys are able to do this year. And you guys are always in the thick of of it all the time. So no surprise there. But Andrew, this has been fascinating. This is I I I really appreciate your insight and and your your outlook on this. And I think the insight and outlook's only gonna get better with this overtime segment. What do you think, Yaz? This is gonna be pretty good. Well, when earlier when you said speaking of high end talent, I producer Dave was ready to <laughs> do my, my normal segment. Exactly, but you were actually talking about Andrew's club, which is probably more appropriate. So yes, it's time for overtime, where I lob some questions both to our guest and to Evan. Overtime. Typically, these are just kind of get to know you questions, but. I was inspired to do something a little bit different today. And so what we have here is a quiz. You each get three questions and the quizzes are on the names of minor league hockey teams. So what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you. Oh, boy. Now it's multiple choice. It's multiple choice. So you've got a one in three chance to start off. So we'll start with you, coach, and we'll take you to the Adirondack franchise in the UHL. So tell me, is it the is it the Adirondack avalanche is it the adirondack frostbite or is it the adirondack patio chairs <laughs> it's got to be c right the patio that's a, that'd be a great jersey <laughs> oh well the one that i was had in my head you didn't mention so i feel like i'm gonna go out on a little bit of a limb here i'm, I'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a uh, I'm afraid it is in fact the adirondack frostbite if you can believe uh, it oh, really so, yes yeah, okay. so kudos to that strange name but Andrew and, and, Andrew I had the same thought I thought I was like oh it's got to yeah. be the avalanche yeah but, and by the way that that team is co-owned by Barry Melrose and Steve Levy of ESPN that's oh, true wow. yeah that's true <laughs> wow mm-hmm. all, right. all right Evan next one is for you we take you to Grand Rapids in the IHL is it the Grand Rapids Gophers is it the Grand Rapids Griffins or is it the Grand Rapids Giants I'm gonna say it's Griffins I that I yeah, it's Griffins. B is my answer. You're absolutely correct, Evan. Well done. And you get an extra point because my son's name is Griffin, which is why. I there you go. I like that. Yeah. All right, Coach, back to you. 
we take you to sunny Florida and Orlando, still in the IHL. Is it the Orlando Sandy Pucks? Is it the Orlando Sunburn? Or is it the Orlando Solar Bears? It's the Solar Bears. I know that. Like the Solar Bears, well done. Well done, yep. Coach. Yeah. I went to their uh, training camp, actually, one year. Is that right? Oh, wow. Nice. Back in the IHL. Yep. All right. We go to you, Evan, and Kentucky and the AHL. Is it the Kentucky Thoroughblades, the Kentucky Fried Puckman, or the Kentucky Shots? Sponsored by Maker's Mark. I didn't know there was an AHL team in the in Kentucky, but yep. I will. I since I don't know, I'm going to go with the Fried Puckman. I got, no, I got to be fun with it. Good guess, but I made that one up. <laughs> it's the it's the Kentucky Thoroughblades. Oh wow, yeah, uh, weird name. I think they've got since the, it's the heart of Bourbon Country. There, they should just yeah. be the shots. Come yeah, on, that, that's 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 a nice little double meaning I like there. That. I like yeah. I like that. All right, Coach, back to you, Amarillo of the CHL. Is it the Amarillo armadillos, the Amarillo tumbleweeds, or the Amarillo gorillas? Well, I'm going to go with the armadillos. No, oh, sorry. It's the, it's the gorillas. Um, <laughs> gorillas are yeah. so random. <laughs> apparently, in this part of Texas, they pronounce the name of their town Amarilla. So it comes out Amarilla gorillas. All right. Evan. Last one is for you, and you better get it right, and or the coach will be disappointed in you, and I'll explain why later. It's a, there's, a, there's a little Easter egg hidden here. Oh, boy. Evan, we take you to Mobile, Alabama of the ECHL. Is it the Mobile Misfits, the Mobile Massacre, or the Mobile Mystics? Oh, God. I'll say, is, is it the Misfits? Coach? No. It's the it's the mobile or mobile mobiles mystics, mobile mystics. Ah. Yep. and and Andrew knows that because he you were a member of that team for a couple seasons if <laughs> I was I might, might have actually been called the misfits when I was down there yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it is, no. it is um, yeah well right and it's spelled M Y S T I C K S so you get the play on words there thank you for indulging me for this wacky trip through minor league hockey. And we get some Kentucky Fried Puckman and Bourbon for you guys later. Yeah, congratulations! I would love that. We, okay. yeah, I, we both did. Well, we both won for three. That was... no, we don't keep score here. <laughs> on uh, rink wise, it's not about winning. It's about how you play the game. It's about having effort. There you go. You're 100 percent right. But Andrew, this has been a blast. I will have to have you on in the future again. And I'm sure you and I will see each other at the rinks quite a bit. Uh, so again, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm Evan Marinovsky. This has been New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise, a Siemens Media Production.